Welcome to this edition of the Driving You Crazy Podcast. We are here again, ready to talk some traffic stories. I am Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber. I am Denver 7 producer Joseph Peters. Because you have just been promoted. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> Something like that. Jason, are we getting paid for this yet? No, we are not. You are now not the overnight producer where you come in at, uh, what time did you come in? I was coming in at like 11 o'clock at night. And then working in... in doing the 6 a.m. newscast. Yes. So and now was, you're doing the 6 p.m. newscast. Correct. Completely different schedule. Uh, from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. to now 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, so I'm still waking up at 4 in the morning, randomly, <laughs> every day of the week. It's going to take <laughs> some time for your body to adjust, I think. I did watch all two and a half hours of this morning's show. Oh, well, how was it? High energy, man. The energy was right there. That's good. Yeah. The content was... Yeah. <laughs> the fire stuff, we can talk about that at a different time. All right, good. Uh, I just wanted to mention last week, one of my comedy Mount Rushmore candidates died, Don Rickles. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Don Rickles, and I w- when I was a kid, I really enjoyed his style of comedy. And he, he, when he, especially when he was on the original Tonight Show, I used to love the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. And anyway, R.I.P. Uh, Don Rickles. Very so sad. many insults. Yes. Uh, last week you mentioned and you learned about the traffic zebras of La Paz. I think I mentioned that they were from Peru. Right. That would be incorrect. That was incorrect. <laughs> Very incorrect. And we didn't really explore that topic anymore because we had our special guest in the studio, Lisa Hidalgo. If, you're not, if you haven't heard that episode, the last episode, it was fantastic. Fantastic. You need to listen to that one. Well, anyway, apparently the traffic in La Paz, Bolivia, is pretty bad incalculable numbers of cars. Uh, That's not really a word. Uh, But there's a lot of buses and cars and minivans that cram into these narrow colonial streets. They're they're trying to muscle their way into the tiniest gaps. And and the drivers incessantly honk their horns to make their presence known, right? Well, this lack of space means pedestrians have to sprint across the road in front of oncoming traffic just to cut across in one piece. So in a move to make crossings safer a team of friendly zebras were dispatched to restore order while bringing a little humor to the madness <laughs> do we have any zebras here in denver no Anything i mean at the zoo yeah uh, uh. well these zebras are public road safety initiative it was launched back in 2001 so they've been around a while the idea was to have these young people dressed up as zebras patrolling the worst known areas to teach road safety to motorists and pedestrians now they picked a zebra because any any guesses no. <laughs> uh, pedestrian crossings apparently are known as zebra crossings in Spanish. Interesting. That's why they pick zebras. At, at first, two people would squeeze inside the one four-legged costume, although the concept eventually evolved into a single-person suit as the original design was rather uncomfortable and dangerous. You think? The two-person horse zebra whatever suit is always a dangerous proposition. <laughs> but it's always humorous. Now, the purpose of the program is twofold, to improve road safety particularly among pedestrians that provide meaningful employment and opportunity to the city's disadvantaged youth. So many of the young people from disadvantaged backgrounds in La Paz, they fall into the trap of drug abuse, they get into alcoholism, delinquency, uh, homelessness, that sort of thing. So the, uh, the, the little money that they make here, it's actually useful, and they also get some on-the-job training, and it's apparently proven instrumental in helping them stay on track and this program has been widely popular since its launch and it expanded now into three Bolivian cities. And they have 400 zebras. 400. 400. Wow. Now, the zebras have moved into other areas, educating school kids uh, and adults on, on issues like recycling and water conservation and bullying. I, I don't really know what that has to do with zebras. <laughs> 
that there's even been an interest from European capitals like Madrid in adopting the approach. Now, there was one tragic death, unfortunately. A 17-year-old female zebra was hit, in, was killed in a hit-and-run crash at the hands of a drunk driver in 2014. So that was the only incident, serious incident so far, which is pretty remarkable when you right. have uh, people out there in traffic. No kidding. Now, I see this as really a great program all the way around. I can't imagine the fragrance, though, of those zebra suits after a couple hours in the Bolivian sun. Vomit. My, my, my gut tells me they probably don't wash those suits every day, so they probably get pretty ripe. Yikes. Maybe after a while I would think maybe they just tear off the suit, set it on fire, and get a new one. I mean, those suits are great. Have you ever worn a mascot suit? Yes. The heart suit, right? I guess your head wasn't covered for that one, so it no, wasn't that no, no. bad. I don't know. I feel like this could really work, but each city needs its own mascot. And I, I don't what know. Would what would Denver's mascot it be? It would have to be the horse, right? Or the Bronco? Like Rock, or Rocky, like from uh, the Nuggets games? Okay. Yeah, I could or see Thunder. that too. Or Thunder. Yeah, Thunder but the I, horse. I think it would have to be Thunder. Yeah. yeah. All right. I can, I can go with that. But no, that's, it's, it's a good way to slow people down. It's again, it's another quote unquote traffic calming device. Right. So when you have the narrower streets or tree lined roads or. People dressed as zebras in the middle of the intersection, it's going to slow you down. That's just it. And I pictured this road when you were describing it as like Colfax. And so the Colfax right. to me would be the perfect place to have nine or ten little thunders running around trying to <laughs> slow people down. Exactly. So the other day I got in my car and I saw that horrible little yellow tire warning light on my uh, driver's side. It said my driver's side rear tire was low. Okay. It said it was P, uh, 23 PSI when it should have been 38. So there, uh, you know, there have been times that that sensor is a little bit off by a few psi, but it, it's never been that much. So I figured something had to be way off. So I looked at the tire, and it didn't seem low. And and I looked at what should be a flat tire, but it didn't look that flat. So I got down. Uh, so I got the, the the pump, and I pumped some air to see what would happen. I pumped up a bit, and and I was unhooking the hose, but I could hear that faint sound of the air leak. Oh no! Yeah, I hate that sound. So anyway, I get down to the tire. And I looked around and I saw I saw this thing. It was a huge chunk of metal that was sticking up from the tread. It was it was big. I could touch it and I could hear some more air coming out. So I was a little bit worried. So I knew that was obviously the problem. I didn't want to pull it out and and, and then have that plug removed. So anyway, I risked my life driving the three miles over to Sam's to see if they could get a plug to fix that hole. Now, and the PSI never really changed from 23 the entire way, So, because I, I took it pretty easy, hoping the metal was just going to stay in there and I was going to make it safely. Uh, anyway, I finally made it down there. It's a long story, it's, uh, and it's going somewhere, I promise. All right. uh, anyway, so when I was there getting my tire fixed, I, I was looking at some of the other tires available, uh, available there in the showroom, just in case they told me I was going to need a new one. Well, So I was reading this online review. I, I saw this set of Pirellis. They, they were pretty inexpensive. They, they, they said they were highly rated right there at the, at the shop. So I looked them up online, and, and they get a pretty good review. And one guy, at the end of his review for this, for this set of Pirellis, said this. All right, this is what he said. Quote, at highway speed, it's so quiet you can hear a weasel fart in the back seat. And trust me, it's got to be pretty quiet to hear something like that. Unquote. <laughs> After laughing out loud at the tire center at Sam's and drawing a few strange looks from the other people in there, I I, I thought to myself, yep, that must be a pretty quiet tire. Yay. There you go. Maybe I'll get a set when my current ones need to be replaced. You got to love a good, honest online review, right? Honest. 
Well, I, I would say that's pretty honest. That's Pierre from Jacksonville, the, right? <laughs> the tire guy was able to put a plug in the hole, so I didn't need to buy a new tire just yet. I think I'll have to get some new ones in the fall before the winter time. But I, I, you know what? I do like doing online reviews. I mean, I don't blame you. You can be very descriptive in that sort of uh, over adjective way. Yes, you can. And I, what I really like doing is on uh, on my phone, when, when I take a picture, uh, Google comes up and says, hey, do you want to add this to uh, the uh, contribution for the maps, right? Okay. And I love doing that. Some of my pictures when I when I went to the Great Wolf Lodge, I was one of the we were one of the first families after it opened, mm-hmm. and so some of those pictures actually have hundreds of thousands of views. Wow. Uh, I, wow. I, you know what? I think that's I just like doing that. So if you see me taking a picture inside a King Supers, that's what I'm doing. I'm taking a picture for Google Maps. There's a big difference between pictures of. The Great Wolf Lodge and pictures of a King Supers. <laughs> yes, there are, but still, my King Supers pictures get do pretty well. What I, I completely believe that. First of all, I always check the King Supers on the map and the pictures before I go or any grocery store for that matter. Do you take pictures of the produce? Or are you just exteriors? What's well, the deal? so far because we've done our free Coffee Friday events, we're stuck right there in the front. So I'll take a couple of shots just from inside. So usually it's of like the produce department because it's right there, and then of the uh, number of checkout lanes. Okay, uh, maybe one down the aisle, but that's pretty much that's pretty much my King Super pictures. <laughs> that's not so bad. You can make a lot of money being the grocery store review guy. But I do have a lot of other pictures, and you can see it. Well, you know, right there on the maps, it's I, and I Jason put... Luber all over Denver. <laughs> yes. Anyway, how did how did you learn to drive? Uh, in a very small old man's basement with about six other people sitting in a circle on some old couches in a room that smelled like ketchup. Were there actual vehicles involved? Yes, once in a while. Okay, I I don't know even if I want to explore this topic <laughs> even further. Maybe I'll just we can move think. on. Well, I started driving pretty early. I remember there were times before I actually had an official driver's license that my mom would send me out in the car down to the corner store store and back. Well, I saw this headline as part of the Des Moines Register op-ed. It says, "Why not let all parents teach drivers ed?" Oh. That oh god now well just all right now look just reading the headline I was thinking yeah this is a great idea however as I was contemplating this for a few more moments I realized there's a lot of adults I don't want teaching kids how to drive anyway there is this law in Iowa that allows parents who homeschool their kids to teach their kids driver's ed but first it requires them to obtain permission from the Iowa Department of Transportation and then they have to follow this curriculum that was approved by uh, the Iowa DOT and there's a new bill in the Iowa State Legislature that would propose to extend this option to all parents not just homeschooled parents Uh, so the op-ed reads listen to this If lawmakers provide the funding the DOT needs to properly enact and sustain such a law, why not? Driver's ed is not a formal part of K-12 education in this state, and the option available to homeschooling parents should be available to all parents. In fact, requirements in the bill may better ensure young people actually know how to drive before they can legally hit the road on their own. Now, I agree with this idea. I I took driver's ed in high school it was two things. One, to reduce my insurance rate, but mainly because it was an easy class that I could take and leave school for a bit. Yep. I, I mean, come on. I, I would say that most students take driver's ed courses offered by private companies. The parents have to fork over a couple hundred bucks. What, I don't know how much. How much is it? How much is driver's ed? I, like about, I don't know. I, I don't mean, know. I think when we did it, it was $800. But it, now we're talking, that's more than well, a decade ago because I'm old. All right. So maybe it's, a, maybe it's a grand. And then about a month later, students get a certificate of completion. You head over to the driver's license office. You get a driver's license, get a little uh, reduced rate on the insurance. Now, this bill in Iowa requires parents teaching driver's ed to have a clean driving record. 
you got to get permission from their DOT and follow the approved course, and that costs about 60 bucks, a lot better than however much uh, a driver's ed course would be. And these students must log more driving hours than those taking the private or school-led course to obtain a driver's license. They also must pass a driving test administered by a state employee, but I thought you had to do that anyway. I hope so. Well, and, and the DOT there estimates more than 12,000 Iowa students per year could be taught by parents if, if this goes through and becomes law. It would be expect, I would think it would be especially convenient in rural areas where you don't really see those classes available or the courses available out there in, on the plains, right? Mm-hmm. It, it would save families money. Uh, I guess in Nebraska, half of the student drivers there are taught by parents. Um, wow. And at the end of the day, mom and dad are really frequently the teenager's primary driving instructor anyway. Isn't it the parents who pay through the nose to add their kids to the auto insurance? And they're the ones that are really taking on the risk and the task of uh, going through all the training to teach your kids how to drive. I completely agree with that. You spend more driving hours with your parents or with whoever's your supervisor than you do in the class with your instructor or on the road with your instructor. That, I know. And so I, I, I see this as a win-win situation for everybody. It costs less. You're going to be able to teach your kids how you teach them. Maybe you'll get a little bit of instruction there. I think that's a, that's a good idea. I think they need to study these kids for like 20 to 30 years after they go through driver's ed, like a focus group of kids who go through a class in school, a focus group who go through a private class, and a focus group of kids who are taught by their parents and study them for 30 years and see how they develop over time and who is actually a worse and better driver. Because there were some lessons that I learned from my driver's ed teachers. One of them was he really didn't care how fast we were driving. He said, if you're just driving safely, that's, that's the main thing. It's not about yeah. how fast, but just be mindful of what you're doing. And the other big lesson he taught me was when you're stopping, when you're braking, always look in your rearview mirror to see what's happening behind you because mm. that's what you have to be concerned with. Because if somebody else is not paying attention and then pow, they run into the back of you, at least you're somewhat prepared and can see that coming. I completely. Those are very good advice. Jason. I also had a crazy teacher who was so freaked out about passing any semi-trucks that she would actually say, you have to inspect each of those tires on those, uh, on those trailers to make sure they don't go flying off and hit you in the windshield. Now, I've seen those retreads come off of the tire, right? I, I've, I've okay. seen it, I think, happen once. And I've seen the, the, the alligators, yeah. what they call them, on the side of the road or in lanes. I've never actually seen it hit my car. It's always possible, right? And I can understand her frustration because she would be the one to go in a car accident because she's on the passenger side closest to the semi. But, come on. And she's a worry ward. That's a little crazy. That is crazy. (laughs) Totally crazy. Anyway. All right, let's take a short breather. Coming up, did you know that you aren't allowed to turn on red in one very large American city? We'll talk about that and much, much more as the Driving You Crazy podcast continues. More of the Driving You Crazy podcast in a moment. The key to covering breaking news is getting there as it happens. Get the top stories first on Denver 7 every morning. We have new information right now. Police on the scene. Downtown Denver. With dedicated people covering everything that's local to you. Take a look behind me. The storm is intensifying. A severe thunderstorm. First on the scene this morning, Denver 7 taking you there live. Big storms developing in Denver. We are tracking it across the metro area. Breaking news out of Denver. Everything you need to know to start your day. Already 
sick when it's time to get it. So lit when it's scientific. One box, one Welcome back to the wildly popular Driving You Crazy podcast. I'm Denver 7 traffic anchor Jason Luber along with our newly promoted 6 p.m. newscast producer Joseph Peters. He's... No, no response. Yep. Uniquely qualified to talk transportation because he knows how to drive a car. Not that he owns a car or drives one on a regular basis. Do you, did you lose some of your driving skill not owning or driving a car on a regular basis? I, I don't. You know, it's like riding a bike, right? But it's not at the same time. No, it's <laughs> like not. You definitely lose some of the edge and... Uh, you get more nervous, I think, is what it comes down to. Or you get more bold. Depends on the mood. Huh. All right, then. Well, anyway, if you drive out on I-70 here in Colorado, uh, there are some variable speed limit signs that will change depending on how bad the weather is. Now, it might sound crazy, but lawmakers in Ohio just passed a bill that will allow police to lower the speed limit when traffic is bad with the goal to help alleviate congestion. The plan would essentially get you through traffic faster by making you go slower. That's what they say. Now, Jerry Ray, he is Ohio's director of transportation. He says, we believe we can cut congestion by 30% and cut primary accidents by 30 to 40%. Well, first of all, we know they're not accidents. They're crashes or wrecks. <laughs> uh, secondly, I, I, I have serious doubts about this. I'll get to that in just a second. So the heart of this project comes from $48 million that's going to be spent to install variable speed limit signs, first in Columbus along the very busy I-670. The variable speed limit signs will change throughout the day depending on the flow of traffic. It'll go as high as 65 when traffic is light, and it'll go down to 35 when the roads are more congested. The shoulder of the highway will also be opened up to act as an additional lane to help relieve some of that traffic jamming. We've seen that up in the mountains where they turn that one. Now, they didn't say anything about turning it into a toll lane, just like a traffic congestion relieving lane. Gotcha. They've talked about that on 225 down here. So variable speed limits have worked successfully in some European countries and some states, uh, including Colorado here. We use it in limited fashion. But what traffic engineers hope will happen is they're going to see a reduction in the accordion effect. We've talked about that in length, where the drivers speed up to fill those gaps in between vehicles and then slow back down, creating that traffic jam. But for that to work, not only will police have to change the speed limit during rush hour, but they're also going to have to change how drivers react to that lower speed limit and get them to obey. That didn't happen in Missouri, They tried the variable speed limits in 2008 only to scrap the project a few years later. Uh, Their DOT assistant director says that drivers didn't believe in it. They didn't abide by it. Their law enforcement partners didn't believe in it, so they didn't enforce it. That makes perfect sense. Doesn't that make perfect sense? Yes. You've got some crotchety old people, sorry, but they don't, they're just like, eh, this has always been 65. Why would I ever go 35 on this road? And you have a bunch of police officers who, honest to God, have better things to do than to enforce a speed limit like that. And they don't trust, I mean, I don't know, would you trust it thinking, all right, the speed limit's usually at least a minimum of 55, and then you see a 35 on an interstate? Well, look at the way Denver's drivers tend to control themselves on the highways here. I mean, the speeds naturally drop to those levels to take care of the congestion. On their own. You don't need something controlling that artificially. Now, these traffic engineers in Ohio admit for drivers to really buy in, their commutes must improve. So Jerry Rice, this director of Ohio's DOT, says they're confident they can do it. 
He says we can't build our way out of congestion. We have to make the system we have work better. Now, the goal in Ohio is to have the signs up and working by next year. If it works in Columbus, they want to expand the program to Cincinnati and Cleveland. The big question I had was if people are driving and stop and go congestion anyway, what does it matter what the speed limit is? If, if it's 10 miles an hour, that's what you're going. So what does it matter if the speed limit is 30 or 40 or 150? If you're in stop-and-go congestion, it doesn't matter, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. The only way to make it work is maybe if they drop the speed limit well before the congestion starts. But even so, as we've talked about, the traffic jams really start when drivers overcompensate when the gap is disrupted. In, like if you have the the gap that never is adjust, never is broken, right? You can go 150, or you can go five. Yes, right. And you can move this uh, a good amount of traffic. It's all about the gap. Yep. Don't break the gap. Keep traffic flowing nice and smoothly. Yep. I, I think a more aggressive timing of the meter ramps would actually help flow uh, help traffic flow smoother than changing the speed limits during rush hour. That's a that's brilliant. Because what you're doing is when you're allowing some traffic into the highway, you're breaking the gap. If you can limit the number of times the gap is broken, you will have better flowing traffic. I think there should also be a way to manage exit ramps a lot better because that's really when people are, are trying to cut across four or five lanes of traffic and breaking several gaps yes. in a row trying to get to that exit ramp. Hey, look, look, this this program could be a raging success, and I, and I hope it is a monumental success. But but I'll wait to be surprised rather than go into this believing there's actually going to be a good result right off the bat because I I don't see that. Also, because you're cynical. Yes, I am also cynical, <laughs> but I don't see how slowing the speed limit down to 35 when it's more congested is actually going to get the traffic to flow when it's still about the gap. Let's be thankful that Denver's not the one trying this. Yes. You know, let somebody else experiment with ways to control traffic. Goodness gracious. All right, my comments uh, about minding the gap perfectly lead me to this story from Kent Akat of the Western Australian newspaper. Ken says, our lane hopping habit is pointless and dangerous. Again, it's about breaking the gap. Now, Perth drivers, he says, have a poor reputation for merging and using roundabouts. But there is one thing they do well, change lanes. And they do it incessantly, selfishly, and needlessly. This is more than just a growing trend, a traffic quirk, or a personal bugbear. It's dangerous and becoming more so. So he continues by saying, Dozens of international studies over the past couple of decades have found that unnecessary lane changing is a major cause of crashes. Just a couple of months ago, a VIX Road study, I don't know what VIX Road is, probably something there in Australia, found the crash rate on Melbourne's freeway system increased sixfold during peak periods with many of the collisions caused by compulsive lane changers. On Melbourne's busiest freeways, it found there were 2,000 vehicles lane changes every kilometer. And the more lane changes, the more traffic means more potential accidents. I love this, first of all. I mean, obviously, I I was a habitual lane changer when I drove on a regular basis. I actually like the phrase, where is it in here? Uh, Compulsive lane changer. Yes. That's a good one. Is that the technical phrase for it? Uh, I guess if you're just, if you want, some people think that they're going to be able to get through traffic if they change lanes and they go to the quote-unquote faster lane. Yep. The one that's moving faster. But you don't know that it's it stopped there back at, at where you're stopped, and the other one's moving because the, the gap was broken at that point. Yep. 
it has nothing to do with what's up ahead. The gap could be broken again up up ahead, but that's where the gap was originally broken, and that's why the traffic is stopping right there. Yep. By trying to go faster, you're ruining traffic for everybody else. And you're breaking the gap by, yeah, for everybody else behind you. I want to hear other people's compulsive lane changer stories. Because, I mean, you see them on the highway every single day. Yes. And really, if you're just doing, let's say, a 25-minute drive, or let's say it's 10 miles from one place to another... It's all about time and distance and speed, right? If you're going on long-distance journeys, then going at a higher rate is actually going to get you there faster, and you're actually going to notice it. You're really not going to notice it if you're going on these shorter trips. Absolutely. Unless you catch a traffic light at a certain time. That's the only caveat there to and that, that has little rant. to do with you, you can very little change lanes to k- take advantage of that no. though you pretty no, much no, have no, to no, run those lights so they say they say that similar studies in the u.s have found that about three percent of road fatalities occur when cars are changing lanes or merging in the late 1990s this trend pro- prompted stanford university scientists to explore why drivers change lanes so often they theorized that drivers were fooled by a type of perpetual illusion that made them think they were traveling in the slow lane so they built a computer model that simulated the two-lane traffic. They populated with 100 virtual cars. The cars followed a simple set of rules. They accelerated to catch up with the traffic and then slowed down if the gap, again the gap, between cars grew too small. What the scientists found confirmed their suspicions. Both lanes were moving at the same average speed, but it wouldn't have seemed that way to the drivers. Slow cars clumped together, fast cars spread out. A driver may pass 10 cars all at once, then move into the slow lane and watch eight cars speed by one by one. He'd think he's moving slower than average, but in fact, he's moving faster. That's your mind blowing right there. That's fascinating, yeah. Now, the Stanford scientists say, during any trip, there are going to be far fewer moments of pleasure when you're passing and far more moments of pain when you're being overtaken. That imbalance holds for every driver on the roadway. Now, research also shows... That in most cases, it doesn't, uh, it doesn't shorten journey times. And in fact, they've seen in Perth, in Australia, mm-hmm. that it actually contributes to the congestion as motorists are forced to brake to accommodate lane changers, again, breaking the gap. So in an article in 2015, the Washington Post, they supported the view that it was a visual illusion that prompts motorists to change lanes unnecessarily. But it also referred to research that shows switching lanes was actually making congestion worse. They say lane change maneuvers not only contribute to traffic oscillations, but may even be a primary cause. And that's true. Again, it's about breaking the gap, no matter where it's broken. Mm -hmm. Because of lane changing or merging or or whatever the case may be. Now, Now, other work done by the University of California's Department of Civil and Environmental Engineering found lane changing did nothing more then moved the traffic bottleneck. It, it said that the main incentive for drivers to change lanes was to increase their speed. But their actions actually slowed overall speed, and the disruption they caused by changing lanes usually caused other drivers to brake and slow down, forcing more motorists to change lanes in search of faster traffic. So it's a domino effect. So it, you go slower as well. So right. you're slower. You're slowing everybody else down. You're potentially causing traffic backup. Don't do it, folks. Right. That's the, that's what they're saying. So the message to the Perth's growing number of lane chamber changers is clear, this guy says. Your actions are dangerous. It will probably not make for a quicker journey. In fact, you're actually contributing to the very thing you're trying to avoid, congestion. Again, it's all about the gap. You all break the, the gap. gap. Anytime you break the gap, you are going to slow down traffic from that point on back. And from that point, that's where it will stay. You we 
didn't we talk about that, or at least didn't you see, there was that traffic ring, this was from Japan, where they had, I think it was uh, 12 cars or so going in a ring, okay, in okay. a circle. And they're all just driving at the exact same speed. And one of the drivers slows down. Everybody else has to slow down behind him. That driver then picks up the pace again, slows down for just a brief moment, and then starts going again. Mm-hmm. That little traffic jam stayed in perpetuity the rest of the time they were driving around. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about. You break the gap that one time, and until you can have the, as I call it, it burp out, so you have no traffic behind it, which can just be burped out, if you will, and mm-hmm. then all the new traffic coming through didn't ever experience that gap break, Okay. then it can flow normally once again. Interesting. That's how it works, baby. There you go. That's it. All right. Did you realize it isn't legal to make a right turn on red in Montreal? I did not. Yes. There's actually a group of Montreal suburban mayors who think it's time to change that. Right turns on red lights are permitted elsewhere in Quebec and throughout much of Canada and the U.S., of course, except for Manhattan, where it isn't allowed either. You can't make right turns on red in Manhattan. I think it has to do with all the pedestrians there in New York City, so you don't run them down. Right. Now, the mayors say not allowing drivers to go right on red makes Montreal traffic congestion even worse, both the inner city and suburbs, and with right turns currently permitted in nearby cities, the patchwork of traffic laws can be confusing for some of the drivers going in there. Absolutely true. Right? So that got me thinking, when I was making a left turn over here on Red at Spear and Logan, and either you or someone else was asking me if you can turn left on Red in Denver. Well, we all should know that you can legally make a right turn on Red, right? You can make it after a full stop. Technically, it's after a full stop. You can go right on Red. It's also legal in Colorado... And I think in most places, to make a left turn on red when going from a one-way street to another one-way street after a full stop. Unless there's a specific sign that's clearly telling you not to turn on red. Otherwise, you can do it. So in my example, I'm going south on Logan, one-way street, making the left on eastbound Spear, also a one-way street. It's separated by Cherry Creek over there, so that would be a legal left-on-red turn, even though it's at a traffic light, not at a stop sign. I usually get strange looks when I do it over there, too, because many drivers don't know the law, and they think I'm running the red light. I was actually behind Lisa yesterday, and Uh and she was doing the same. So I was right behind her, right there at that light. And so I pulled up to her left, and I said, come on, let's go. And she goes, what are you talking about? Can I go left on red? I go, yes, here you can, from a one-way to one-way. Let's go. She goes, all right, let's hit it. And so off she goes. Hurry up, lady. Yes. (laughs) Yes, I I had to get her going. Uh, but yeah, that, so that I thought that was an interesting. Uh, that's interesting. And we've talked about this, right? We we the newcomers in town have, yes. have definitely been the ones giving you the strange looks because every time I saw it in the very beginning, before I knew that the law was different here, what the hell's going on? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and so now you know. The more you know. Bing 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 bing. I don't do that right. I'm gonna have to find the real sounder. But is that gonna be a copyright problem? I don't. I, what six seconds or less for fair use? We well, can have that discussion. Yeah, I could, <laughs> okay. I'll just here. I'll I'll plug it. In. I'll plug it in here. There we go. Well, anyway, that's another lovely edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Uh, thanks again for listening. We're getting we're over twenty episodes. I can't even believe it. It's amazing. Killing it. Uh, thanks again for being a part of this. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luper, the traffic guy. I'm Joseph Peters, the producer. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.